Fire when ready. OC and Z and no friends today. No friends. Well, the thing is, you're in Utah. Apparently, there's like time differences in uh, America. And so you're an hour ahead. So it's 9.30 for you. It's 8.30. And apparently, great. I mean, Great Face Dave, not surprised at all that he couldn't make it because Great Face Dave wakes up at like noon, I'm guessing. Maybe even later. Maybe like one or two. I'm surprised he's asleep right now because I thought he might just be on another Call of Duty vendor or whatever he's playing. So I thought he'd be awake still. That's true. No, but I mean, you can only go so long. Like a a video game bender, I'm assuming. I've never been that into video games where I would be on a bender. But I'm assuming that's got to wrap up. Like when the sun rises, 5 a.m., 5.30 a.m. I don't think you can go all the way through 8.40 a.m. on a video game bender. But I'm a little surprised in Sal the Book's a.k.a. Gabbo. I'm surprised that he couldn't make it. And Cousin Ant, no surprise there, too. He's kind of similar to Graveface Dave in that they both like video games. And let's just be totally honest. They both like weed. <laughs> I guess it's let's legal. Let's just keep it real.com. It's, it's legal where you're at, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Is it not legal in Utah? Uh, No. I was surprised that it was legal in Nevada because Nevada used to be the, the strictest about that. Like, if you got caught with even, like, a dime bag in Vegas, you got thrown to the judge pretty fiercely. So I was surprised that Nevada had it legal. I guess I'm not surprised that Utah doesn't have it legal. It needs to be legal everywhere. doesn't Utah, kill anybody. Utah will be the last place. <laughs> From, there was a vote, I think, last year, you know, whether or not to legalize at least medicinal marijuana in Utah. Uh-huh. It passed quite easily. The popular vote, everyone was like, yeah, this is a no-brainer. And then the powers that be in this state, which everyone knows are quite conservative, they stepped in and they vetoed the bill and all that stuff. So Really? Yeah. It was actually like a really quite a backward move because the state and even the power players in the state that obviously are, are just deeply entrenched in the conservatism movement, they've made some good strides forward in places where other people it's just like basic human decency to have like – LGBTQ rights and all that stuff in other states. It wasn't such a reality here until the last few years, and, and they've made a lot of progress in those areas. So people are like, oh, even though these are conservative individuals running our government, they're at least acknowledging the fact that the people are getting a little bit more liberal and allowing for some of these things to pass. But when it came to weed, they were like, no, <laughs> I don't think so. Not the devil's lettuce, not in my state. That's crazy. And it's also crazy that something can get voted in and then, as you said, powers that be can step in and just overturn that. Like, I'd love to know what the behind the scenes stuff is on that because that seems like full blown, like strong arm robbery. Yeah, no, I, it feels like it should be illegal, but uh, I'm not, I'm not politically dialed in enough to give you the particulars on it. And maybe someone can holler at us on Twitter or something and explain the actual back and forth details of how that happens in YouTube. <laughs> places but uh still we have uh, oc and z just oc and z today so i guess we're really testing out our strength with no live sports well i shouldn't say that very limited live sports happening in the united states of america and now no friends to lean on and bandy back and forth and make fun <laughs> there might be some people that prefer it this way <laughs> i love our friends oc but <laughs> let's keep it real.com all right let's uh, Let's get to our formula, all right? Rona Ranch. Then we'll talk about what we want to talk about sports-wise. Yep. And then we will uh, give you some viewing recommendations. What's your Rona Rant today, Zachariah? Yes, sir. My Rona Rant today, OC, is that 
just because we're in a pandemic does not mean that you can't do your job efficiently. Okay? Look, I get it. It's more difficult. We have to have social distancing, gloves, masks, and all that stuff. I'm saying this because I went to the bank. And when I went to the bank, first of all, how crazy is this? They lock the door. The door was locked when I got there. Then they unlock it for me to get in. I had to, like, show my ID, show my bank card. They let you in, and all I was doing was getting a replacement for my debit card. But you would have thought that what I was doing was trying to cure cancer or something. It was the most difficult process in the world. And all I'm saying is, while being very safe, you can still be efficient at your job. And I feel like people are using the Rona to just be inefficient. And it's starting to annoy me. And it's in all fields. It's not just the bank. It's calling 800 numbers to try to fix the Internet for my mom up in Hillsburg. It's people at Costco. It's people at Safeway. Look, I get it. We're in crazy times. And it's going to take a little longer and stuff like that. But you still need to be good at your job. Okay? I'm not going to do a poor podcast with you just because of the Rona. Okay? These people are out here not being efficient at their jobs. And they're using the Rona as an excuse. That's my Rona rant. That's a good that rant. was a real Rona rant. That was a real Rona rant. <laughs> That's a real Rona rant. I, look, there's definite, and I know that it's it's about liability and companies trying to err on the side of caution and whatnot in a lot of places. But for example, I'm going to be moving pretty soon. We're we bought a new house and we're remodeling some things right now, and we're going to move into that house probably in July. And I just found out that there's going to be some serious problems moving my cable service. And getting my internet hooked up at the new place because like, yeah, we're not doing new service calls right now. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? The ideal situation in that field is you drive around in that truck and you never see anybody. You don't talk to anyone. You knock on people's doors. They're not home and you just go do the thing. Whatever you need to plug in at the tower. So it, it's a job that definitely can be done from a socially distant perspective. And they're just like, yeah, no service calls right now. Sorry, bud. I was like, okay, well, cancel my service. <laughs> I called 1-800-Flowers, and they don't even take phone calls. They're like, due to the corona, just go to the website. They're not even taking phone calls. I'm like, your name is 1-800-Flowers. The phone number is in your company. It's the name of your company, and you're not taking phone calls. That's amazing. Oh, man. That, that's a perfect example of what you're talking about. That is a company that is using – uh, most companies, I'll, I'll, the disclaimer is this. I think most companies are doing their best right now to get through all this stuff, and they're trying to take care of employees, and they're trying to protect their bottom line, and they're trying to juggle all these things. But there are companies out there that are just using this pandemic to pivot to a new business model unapologetically. They're just like, yeah. eh, the phone call thing sure. sucks. You know, because think about it, Zachariah. If you're 1-800-Flowers – and you're taking calls, that means you need to have employees that work at a call center that needs benefits, they need facilities, they need all this stuff. Or you can just pay, you know, some random dude probably that lives in a different country and will work for a lot less to just watch your Internet servers and make sure everything is working properly. So there are companies that are using this as a way to eliminate their live workforce and eliminate salaries that affect their bottom line. It sucks. Oh, yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, I think what this pandemic is going to show is just how many people can work from home and still be just as effective. My buddy was telling me how much he thinks commercial real estate 
is going to take a huge dive because companies are just not going to have offices. Art, who I've been trying to get on the podcast, the last time he renegotiated his contract, he negotiated it to only working three days a week at the office. And he said, now after this, I'm going to make it so that I only work two days at the office. And it's just going to be crazy how that affects other things because ultimately what this is showing is you can probably – I mean, hell, even Good Morning America, they can do their job from home. Well, it's changing our business pretty drastically, right? Because why would you – I mean, obviously ESPN and some of those – but why if you're like a local media company, why would you pay a, a lot of money to rent space and buy equipment and have these fancy studios when people will consume your content if it's Zachariah sitting in his <laughs> yeah. basement and with – like we don't have a video component, so people can't see the serial killer setup you have right now. But all right, can I go on my Rona rant real quick? In some areas, though, I think it's an overreaction. In not overall, but in some areas. Oh, by the way, welcome to the program, Gabo, who just joined us. Gabo, go ahead, Gabo. I was just saying, in some areas, I agree with the remote stuff, and there's efficiency, but in other ones, I think there's an overreaction. Like for instance, I think. Governor Cuomo in New York overall doing a commendable job in some areas in terms of managing that situation. But when he was talking about for school children, like we're going to take public education and leverage all this distance learning for like elementary school kids, I think that's a terrible idea. You don't want to have online classes for your third grade kid. I mean, I think that's an overreach. So I think there'll be both. There'll be some of that and then other people will like take the ball and run with it and it'll actually be detrimental. You are spot on. That would be a terrible idea for parents. And it's a terrible idea for the kids, right? There's a lot of parents, working parents. They need to have their kid go to their third grade elementary school class. They need them to be out of the house. Get them the hell out of the house. Well, and kids need to learn how to socialize and have human interaction. We already have a society that's becoming too much like online, distance, sucked into our phones, all the rest. We need to have that face-to-face. Here's how you have a discussion. Here's how you have general human interaction. They're not going to actually do it with – you've read stuff on that, Gabe? They've been talking about actually doing that with schools? He was making the statement, and again, this is just in a press conference, so he's probably speaking freely. It's not like there's a plan actually in the works, but he was talking about long-term, down-the-road, post-coronavirus, saying utilizing distance. We have so much technology, and I think that's also a danger where people just think, look at all this great technology, more technology is better. No, technology is a tool that's sometimes useful, but it's not always more technology better. That's correct. And we all know the homeschool kid, all right? There was that one random kid that played <laughs> on the high school basketball team, but not homeschooled. And there's just something wrong with everyone. He was just a, he was just a little different. They're just... There's just something a little off about all of them. And going to school, it's also weird, but going to school is just how you learn how to, like, navigate stuff. Like, you get to the age where you're, like, taking the bus and figuring out the system and getting used to the city and all that kind of stuff. That's part of growing up. Yeah. For sure. If you take my nap time and my recess away from my childhood, I'm not the same kid, okay? I need all of that. Hey, it might have been good for you, if we're being honest, you know? <laughs> There's people all over the spectrum of needing social interaction, and you might benefit it too much. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right. Here's my Rona rants, okay? All right. I live in Utah, God's country. You people live in California, which, look, I love the Bay Area. I think that at one time, San Francisco, California, was the greatest city in the United States of America. I hope that it's still something close to that or can, can return to that or whatever. But California politics and California policy is often a little bit nutty in the eyes of middle America. My Rona rant 
is something that I guess is an attack on policymakers because the Cal State Universities announced yesterday that they are not going to reopen school in the fall. So Fresno State, places like that, Sacramento State, the Cal State system of universities, which I think is 27 total schools, they're going to keep their campuses closed in the fall, which means in all likelihood that fall sports in those schools are out. Fresno State football is probably out. Sac State football is probably out. And of course, this is an alarming thing for people like myself, whose livelihood depends on the Pac-12 <laughs> in session. Now, Cal, Stanford, USC, UCLA, these are not Cal State universities, but these are University of California schools or private schools, obviously. And if the state system is putting pressure and the policy, if that decision reflects the thinking of the policymakers, in all likelihood, there's going to be serious consideration of making sure that Berkeley is not open in the fall, that UCLA is not open in the fall. And if students can't be on campus, fellows, student athletes can't be on campus and they will not be allowed to participate. And that would, the, losing the four California schools would effectively eliminate the Pac-12 conference. While the rest of college football is already gearing up to play, the South, they're going to make something happen. The Big Ten is going to make something happen. People in Texas never cared about this in the first place. So Big 12 in Oklahoma, they're going to be playing football. We've got a potential situation where the Pac-12 is the only Power 5 conference that has a compromised or canceled college football season. And they're already losing ground behind those others. You'd never make it up if it happens. First of all, <laughs> this is a rare occasion where I don't have an opinion. I don't know whether or not the other states are – doing it right or if California is doing it wrong. But I can tell you for sure, as we are OCZ and friends, that Gabo, Sal the Books, our dear friend, you are talking to the wrong person because he is going to tell you. I haven't heard. I don't know what his take is yet, but I'm going to tell you for certain. He's going to say, not only is California right for shutting everything down, every other state should shut everything down. Gabe basically thinks that we should be in our house for like the next 10 years. So that, Gabe, go ahead. Tell me if I'm reading you wrong. That may very well be the case, but May 12th is not the time to make that announcement. So in terms of when to make the announcement, I can give you that. I mean, if you feel like you'd rather have them wait longer than it's possible, I think what they're trying to do is saying like, if we know now, we're going to tell you so everybody can start planning. You know, if you're a student who doesn't want to do distance learning, an incoming freshman, you could potentially even make a selection to go to a different school rather than, you know, that does have on-campus scenario. So I'm not going to fight you based upon the announcement time because it could go either way. Maybe they should wait to see how things pan out. But if they're sure now, maybe they're just trying to give students a heads up ahead of time. So I'm going to take a step back from the university system and just talk about the country as a whole. We should be embarrassed as Americans that we're literally the worst country in the world at dealing with this. I mean, our numbers are the highest in terms of infection and all these other types of things. And our reaction to that, instead of saying, like, we need to be more determined and more conscientious with our policies, we're going the other way. We're saying, like, now it's time to relax. This is like a guy who goes to work and he's terrible at his job and he says, hey, guys, I'm taking a big vacation. Like, we've been doing a crappy job of managing the virus spread, and now we're trying to, like, relax, and, like, now it's time to kick it. So this is going to backfire on the United States, and instead of 
people saying, oh, we're so fed up and getting antsy and impatient with the shutdown, it's just going to lead to a larger shutdown. We're going to have a second wave of the virus and it's we're going to reshut things down. So I I'm told, disheartened I by that. You, and that's my Rona rant is that I'm embarrassed to be an American. <laughs> I told you, OC, wrong person to talk to about this type of stuff. <laughs> this is the guy that berates me. I'm going up to Healdsburg to fix my mom's internet and phone, and Gabe's like, you can do that without going up there. You don't need to go up there. And all I'm trying to do is help my mom get her internet and phone back. Last week you were on the cast, Bill, talking about making essential runs to get bird seed for squirrels. I mean, it was mom likes to, Okay, when my mom wakes up in the morning, she watches squirrels and birds eat bird seed. So that's essential. She needs it. This is, this is exactly Gabo's point. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's this American exceptionalism where it's like overall we think something's a good idea. Eh, if it affects our usual routine, we're going to be hesitant for but it. But I'm not hesitant. I'm aside, <laughs> the worst folks, like I'm sure you guys have seen the stuff like in Chicago where they had like house parties with like a thousand people there. All yeah, this see, stuff. I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm taking care of Mama Dukes. It's still, I mean, if we're going, we're not talking about like scientific stuff, but I mean, it, it's shocking when we think about exponentially the idea about that R0 that basically says like each infected person, how many people do they infect? When you change that number just a small amount, it has huge ripple effects. You know, if you, if you change that number from every one person infects two people to every one person infects 1.5, it has massive ripple effects. So we need to be, changing that transmission, just ratcheting it down in any way possible. Okay, enough doomsday. You got your message out. OC, can we get to my notes? Yeah, we can get to your notes. I don't think Gabble's wrong, by the way. I just think that this is the American way, whether you like it or not. The rest of the country is going to open up, and the West Coast and California and the Pac-12 are going to be the one who they stay closed. And maybe maybe that when that second wave hits, California's in a better spot because of it. But Three years from now, the Pac-12 conference is going to not be a power five because they will have shut down this year. And I get the trade-off is, all right, well, who cares, right? Because if we're talking about more people in California survive <laughs> yeah. in the environment we exist in now, where there's still a lot of unknown, A-12, the Cal State University said, eh, we're going to be shut down while <laughs> Alabama governors are just like, I'm opening my campus right now. It's part of the problem that we're not, we don't have a uniform plan of attack here. This is actually a great segue towards another thing that I've heard being discussed, but you talked about the Pac-12 no longer being a Power 5 conference, and we definitely have that dynamic in college football where you have the Power 5 conferences with the automatic bids, and then you have everybody else. The other thing that we have going on at the same time is this weakening of NCAA control, right? The NCAA and their death grip on amateurism is starting to be eroded. And there's the idea that players are going to be able to either get paid directly or use their likeness for marketing and all this kind of stuff. The thing that I've heard talked about that I think is really interesting is these schools and these conferences basically seceding from the NCAA and saying, you know, we're no longer doing this and creating essentially tiered power leagues out of those 60 schools. So the idea, and this is just spitballing, this is not a formal proposal or anything, but one thing that I thought was really interesting about taking those 60 schools that are at the top of college football and putting them into basically 20-team tiers, like an A, B, and a C tier, that would have a similar thing towards like European soccer with promotion and relegation year to year. 
which I think is a fascinating thing because it would create this dynamic where what college football loves to put, stake their claim in is saying every game matters, right? Because there's a limited playoff and all this kind of stuff. And if you did the, if you do these tiers and you had promotion and relegation, then it really would be true because the number 20 team playing at the, it's trying to have a death grip and try to hold on to their spot in tier A. And then, you know, there's the promotion and relegation would create this, I don't know what to call it, but this, added significance towards everybody's record, even if you weren't in contention to make the playoff. So I thought that was an interesting proposal. I'm curious what you guys think about it. I love that idea. I also think it's an inevitability that maybe not the promotion relegation three-tier league, but I think it is an eventuality that the Power 5 schools do break away from NCAA control because public pressure, the sentiment amongst basketball players especially is like, why would I bother going to college? Why do I want to be at North Carolina or Duke or Kentucky when I can go make a few hundred grand in the G League or overseas or whatever? Why why in God's name would I spend any time on a campus in Chapel Hill to get two semesters of meaningless classes done? And because of that, there's this pressure to make college sports a viable option for young people who have very limited earning windows. Name, image, and likeness is kind of the first step in that direction. But the NCAA is already kind of dragging their feet, and they're going to say, ah, oh, we're going to cap it. You're only going to be able to make 50 grand a season or 100 grand a season or whatever it is. Why would you, if you're Trevor Lawrence, why would you accept that? Why would you say, oh, cool, I get to make money this year? Great, let's do it. Wouldn't you say 50 grand is not a pot to piss in compared to how much I bring to Clemson because I'm your starting quarterback? So, I think what's going to happen is the Power 5 schools are going to recognize that and they are going to break away. The NCAA only has power because we say they do. There's really nothing special about that organization. They only have power because the Power 5 schools and everyone else has said, yeah, yeah, we need a governing body. We need an umbrella to kind of help us out. As soon as they decide, nah, I would actually rather just be the SEC, the Big 12, the Big 10. Hopefully the Pac-12 is included in that the new state, whatever it is. But as soon as they make that decision, the NCAA is kaput. It's done. In terms of that, yes, that thing should have been bye-bye a long time ago. It's been like one of the biggest open-faced, complete robberies that we've just been rolling with for my entire life. But I have two things real quick. Number one, I actually like the one-and-done rule because for me, NCAA basketball is another thing for me to watch, right? So if you're taking Zion and I – uh, Zion I. If you're taking Zion away from Duke, I'm less likely to watch college sports. So I like them being there for one year, but yes, pay them and allow them to earn money. And I mean, all this stuff is coming out about what they're getting anyway. Hold so on. name for me one other one and done player that you bothered tuning in to watch Z- besides Zion. Anthony Davis. How many years ago was that? So every five years, there's a college player, one college player at one university that you as an avid sports fan actually want to tune in to watch? No, there's what I'm saying is you're increasing the college product by making those guys play one year in college. And I want to watch another thing. Like I don't want to just watch the NBA. I want to watch the NBA and I want to watch the NCAA men's basketball product. So tournament, the NCAA men's basketball television product is designed for the tournament almost exclusively. That is the. No, I've over the years, and Gabe will, Gabe will fight me on this because Gabe thinks 
an idiot that fills out a bracket and just watches March Madness. But over the years, I have watched way more college basketball, and I just want that product to be better. And if you allow the guys just to skip that over, then the college basketball product is going to suffer. There's only 15 guys a year that can actually successfully skip over that, though. That's true. That's true. And the rest, if the rest, it was a baseball model, right, where you either go pro or you stay in college for three years, You've got a three-year investment in guys on the roster and players. You actually know who's coming back for your favorite team next year. You nobody know, watches nobody watches college baseball though. I think it's a. I think there's a multiple things at play here, and they don't really pull in the same direction. One thing is kind of what is fair for them and what's the most equitable solution, and the other one is kind of what's most enjoyable from a fan perspective. Yeah. I kind of agree with Zach in that. I mean. College basketball is my favorite sport to watch, pretty much, which is, I guess, an unpopular thing because a lot of people kind of ridicule that. But I really enjoy it because two things. One, there's equity in terms of small schools can upset big schools because it does not doesn't take huge rosters and huge piles of money. In college football, your small school down the state is not down the street is not beating Alabama, but in college basketball, a bunch of teams can beat anybody, and there's a lot of variations and styles of play and all that kind of stuff. But from that perspective, I do like the culture where guys are staying in college and guys, you have the stars every year going to college because we a lot of the signature players, we do follow throughout the year. Kevin Durant's year at Texas was a big deal. Carmelo won a championship as a freshman. There's a lot of guys, but even before the one-and-dones, um, there, was, there was elite players in college. And I think saying, what's, the- happening with, what's happening with the G League currently is kind of the first steps because – before the G League kind of started this new initiative to intentionally recruit high school players in order to bypass college or to skirt it, you had to do something like go overseas to play, which was somewhat culturally, or take a whole year off and do like one of these internships with the shoe company and things like that. But the movement for the NBA is more towards having this developmental European academy style thing that they're trying to do. That is more fair for the players to have the option and not have to go through the pretend actions of pretending to be a student when they're not. But I think it does damage the product as a fan. And I, I'm not sure what to advocate for because it feels selfish for me to say, handcuff these guys to university so I can enjoy watching them when it's not fair to the guys who are the actual players. But No, I came up with it. You don't let them go straight to the NBA, but you pay them. I don't even like the paying, though, because how do you determine who's – Who's what? I mean, who do you pay? You pay all the players? Do you the just same way, stars? Gabe, the same way that you figure out if you're going to pay Jameis Winston $1.2 million or whatever to be a backup, and you're going to pay Patrick Mahomes $40 million to be a Super Bowl champion MVP. So you figure it out based on what they're like. Zion would have got paid fat. So and here's, then, what, but here's what happens when you do that, Bill. The exact thing that I said that I liked about college basketball where the small schools can upset the big guys. That's going to go away if if all of a sudden the big schools can pay multi-million dollars instead of just the cost of education. Yeah, but those guys are going to go to those big schools anyway. But so. if you eliminate the one-and-done farcical BS, right, and there's actually incentive. I love one-and-done. The top, the top, whatever it is, 3% of high school basketball players go explore their professional opportunities, whether it be the G League, straight to the NBA, or overseas, right? Those guys go. I promise you the 97% of high school basketball players 
that maybe need a year to develop their freshman year, then they're good as sophomores and even better as juniors. You're going to watch those people play, especially come tournament time. The system did already work before the one-and-done rule was in place. Like, when we're sitting here in 1995 and Kevin Garnett was going straight to the league, college basketball was very healthy. There were plenty of stars. So and I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. away the one-and-done rule and letting guys go pro because there will still be guys who, who go to college. But, Gabe, okay, you're saying – was better off in those days. College basketball because you had guys that actually showed up on campus, sat on the bench for half a year, they developed – and they left the college basketball ranks more developed for the NBA product, but that means we got to see a better, more polished version of Keith Van Horn or whoever it was or freaking Christian Leitner and these guys, Grant Hill, the guys that we actually got to watch multiple years of college basketball. We saw better versions of them than we ever got to see Anthony Davis or Zion. The biggest threat to the quality of NCAA basketball, in my opinion, is not the removal of the one-and-done rule. It's actually the establishment of the G League as a more full-fledged minor league because when we're talking about 95 and these times in the past where guys could go straight to the pros, the alternative, if you weren't ready to play in the NBA, was college, and college was the de facto minor league. But I think if we go to where we now have starting to have a more full-fledged minor league, de facto minor league with the G League, it will turn more into college baseball, which is a niche sport, but is not seen as a high level of competition because so many of the high talents bypass it. First of all, nobody's ever watching the G League. Second of all, Gabe, you're talking about the system worked before when Kevin Garnett was going straight to the league or Kobe Bryant was going straight to the league or whatever. But you're saying that as a guy that says that his favorite sport is college basketball. What I'm telling you is I tuned in to Duke games specifically for Zion. I tuned in to Texas games specifically for Durant. And what I'm saying is Fab Five when we were kids, the Fab Five all went to Michigan, even though they could have gone straight out of high school. Nothing was stopping them. Well, I mean, yeah, great players. Larry Johnson. There's all these great teams that happened when you could still go pro. If great players still went to college, then yes. But what I'm telling you is if you remove the Kobe Bryants, if it's less likely for me to watch a casual game and not just be the guy that just watches the March Madness tournament. If every five years you get a single player on a single team who is appointment viewing in NCAA basketball, that is not a successful model. You guys brought up Carmelo Anthony, Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, Zion Williamson. Those guys, not Melo and, and KD so much, but the other guys, you go from Melo KD to Anthony Davis, how many years in between there? Like eight? And then another five years until you get to Zion. No, I'm sure. OC, if I, what I'm OC, telling you if I looked it up, I bet you I could mention 50 people to you. You didn't put Derrick Rose in there. I'm sure there's tons of players. If Derrick Rose was appointment viewing for you, that's a great point. But again, there's probably one player every couple, five, three years that is appointment viewing. If you have, if you have the best players go straight to the NBA or straight to the G League, fine. But I promise you, just like happens in every other sport, you will attach yourselves to a roster and to guys whose story you know, and you will watch dudes who were scoring 12 points off the bench as a sophomore when they become a starter as a junior and give you 21 a game. You're now more invested in that product. You're now going to care more about that, just like we did back in the 90s. I think the thing that's happening, though, is that if it was reverting back to the 90s where it was just creaming the one guys every few years, like you're talking about, OC, it would be one thing. But if the G League 
and the NBA does what they're trying to do and co-ops youth basketball and co-ops the AAU system and gets guys in that pipeline, it won't be just a few because instead of having just five or guys that could be first-round draft picks in the NBA, they could absorb 30, the top 30 or the top 60 or the top 100 players every year if they have a full-fledged minor league. And that's what baseball does. That's why college baseball has some good players, but way less because the majority of the best guys go straight are the minor leagues. leagues. Yeah. So, yeah. Gabe, you're 100% right. And, and the point that comes out of that is that because the NBA and because NCAA basketball has been shuffling around, dragging their feet, not changing with the times the way they need to, NCAA basketball effectively allowed the G League to position itself as a better option for players coming out of AAU and coming out of high school. They killed themselves because you're absolutely right. Even if the one-and-done rule is removed, a lot of guys are going to be like, oh, I can go straight to the NBA. Great. I'm the top 1%. That's what I'm doing. But the guys that are in the two and the top 2 and 3%, they're going to look at it and they're going to say, well, no, no NBA team's drafting me. I guess I'll just go G League instead. So now the NCAA has to try and figure out how to position themselves to at least make sure they absorb the 97% on down. And it's maybe too late because you allowed instead of making changes where guys could have a, a rewarding three-year experience in college and get paid potentially for name, image, and likeness, now everyone's like, eh, this isn't the system that works anymore. I'm going somewhere else. So maybe you're only getting the top 80% guys. Maybe maybe anyone who's in the top the top percentiles up 90 and above, they're all going to explore professional opportunities instead of going to play NCAA basketball. So you make great points, and it all boils down to what we were talking about at the very beginning of this discussion, that the NCAA's power is only this manufactured construct because everyone just accepts it. Now people are rejecting that, and the organization's dying, and maybe one of their biggest money-making sports – in NCAA basketball could be dying along with it. Yeah, no, I agree with you. They're definitely kind of missing their chance and kind of taking a non-action. They're not moving decisively in any direction. They're just kind of holding steady, and their their foundation is shifting underneath them. All right, Zachariah, you got notes that you wanted to get to. What are you doing? Do you leave? You taking a shit? I don't know. Sorry, I had to take that. I'm back. Are you guys done with your serious combo? That was way too serious. Can we get to the good stuff now? Okay, tell us what the good stuff is, Zachariah. Oh, you know what the good stuff is, pal. Oh, you want me to lead into it? I thought you were going to – The Last Dance is the good stuff, OC. We (laughs) all know it. Gabe, obviously, I actually felt bad for even having OC in that text thread because I was just imagining OC getting pinged numerous times with Gabe just telling you how much he hates The Last Dance, which he's never watched, by the way. Do you want to start with that or do you want to get to my notes? (laughs) Look – well, we can say this. Gabo is probably the most thoughtful and insightful of all of us. But <laughs> that's probably that, giving him too much credit. But that take is just hot fire garbage when you haven't watched even 10 seconds of the show. You can't have such a strong opinion of something if you don't at least know what it's actually about. Let me frame it this way, because when you guys say we want to discuss the last dance, right? I take it, and correct me if I'm wrong, what you really want to discuss is things about Michael Jordan and his career and his place in history and all the rest of it, right? Do you, I mean, are you, are we actually discussing the cinematic technique of, or do you just want to discuss things like was Pippen underpaid and all this other kind of stuff? Because, and the reason I asked that question is because 
if you actually want to discuss the content of what happened in history and these personalities and players, I'm here for it and I'm well equipped to discuss. If you instead want to discuss like the filmmaker's technique, then you're right. I can't speak on it without actually watching the thing. Have you ever heard of the phrase? Have you ever heard of the phrase "party pooper"? <laughs> have you ever heard of the phrase uh, "peeing in the Cheerios"? I, hey, guess what? You're the one that brought it up because the people who are listening to this podcast, they weren't on our text thread last night. So if you just jumped in with a Jordan topic, I would have kicked in and you didn't even have to bring up the whole thing about whether I liked The Last Dance or whether I watched it or not. Well, I'm exposing real life to the world. I'm letting the world know that you hate this thing that you've never even watched. I enjoy a good unpopular opinion, okay? I hate the Ozark series. What? The last two seasons of Ozark were hot garbage. They sucked. I saw Chris Fowler, who I respect immensely as one of my favorite followers in the college football world. I saw him last night gushing. Just He was effusive in his praise of everything about Ozark. And I was like, man, you are dead wrong here because he finally finished. You're wrong. OC, you're wrong. Just like Gabe is wrong here, you're wrong with that. There's There's a key difference. And the reason I brought it up and I'm calling myself out is, that's an unpopular opinion. I get that I'm in the extreme minority for not liking Ozark and being critical of the writing and some of the twists that they took. I acknowledge that, and it's fine. But it's an informed opinion because I watched all three seasons. And I told That's I, I true. Can, that is the difference, Gabo. He can have an unpopular opinion of not liking seasons two and three of Ozark. You can't have the unpopular opinion of not liking The Last Dance, having not watched any of it. The Last Dance is propaganda, man. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Every piece of media that you consume is propaganda. And if you don't believe that, then you're already lost. So this is actually a problem. And here's what I'd like to do. And I've had this conversation with Bill before, but way too much of these kind of conversations and discussions are so much shaped by like the influence that people already have on you of telling you what's important and what's not. Right. So if we were to go back, this fun ass thing to me, if we were to all to go back and just to watch every like playoff game that Jordan ever played with the sound off, just watched that shit and then had a discussion about what we all thought and compared them to other players, that would be interesting to me. But if you were watching something that's been packaged and is kind of already trying to influence you and in how to think, it's a different ball of wax. But it's the same thing that I always tell Bill about if we're doing a weekly show during the football season, nobody watch Red, nobody watch ESPN, nobody watch Sports Center. Turn the sound off, watch all the games start to finish, and then have a conversation. And some really interesting things will come out of it because we'll each have different takes based upon our own analysis instead of saying, here's what the talking heads have been talking about today, and we're all going to talk about it also. And I think that you're giving specifically me, and I'll speak for OC because I assume that he feels the same way, you're giving us not enough credit to think that these talking heads are shaping our opinions and and our ideas. Anyways, you can be a party pooper. You can be the pee in the Cheerios. I'm getting to my damn notes, okay? This is my first note. How many pages you got today? I mean, we have a lot, but we can just get to whatever. Uh, Bill Gotts is going to share his game notes? Yeah, exactly. Something like that. First of all, just the idea that a guy who everybody holds as a god, clearly from this whole thing we can tell, and who was undefeated in championships, just the fact that – and This is near and dear to my heart because he did it in large part because his father passed and his father always wanted him to play baseball. He talked about that was the last conversation they had was about him playing baseball and his dad said, go do it. But just the fact, number one, I love that he said, 
I would have done it a year before, but Larry and those guys didn't get three in a row, and I want to get three in a row. Just, I mean, just, just to have the balls to say that is amazing. But number two, just think about a guy in his prime at that sport just saying, oh, I'm switching sports. Like, that story is not talked about enough. It would be like LeBron playing football. Well, I guess not even now because LeBron's not even in his prime anymore. But it would be like KD playing football or it would be like, you know, I don't know, Mike Trout picking up basketball or whatever. Just the fact that he played baseball is insane. No, it absolutely is insane. It was a circus and a sideshow when it happened for a lot of people. But And this is, I think, maybe something that supports what Gabe's problems with the series are. When you've got, you know, Terry Francona or whoever coming on and saying, like, yeah, you give that guy enough at-bats, he's going to be a major leaguer, that may or may not be true. We get to talk about that in hindsight and say, ah. But the fact of the matter is that this is a guy who had achieved the pinnacle of his own sport, and he decided, I need a different challenge. I'm burnt out on one thing or whatever. And we see that with, with people, but very few have the means, have the security, have the whatever, have the confidence to be like, eh, I'm doing this because it's what I want to do. I applaud Michael for it now. I, I didn't really care about it back then. I thought it was silly, but I was young and I didn't understand what it's like to be an adult male who's burnt out on his job, effectively. So, whatever. It was cool. I think it is talked about enough because everyone knows it about Michael Jordan and everyone, you know, either praised him or panned him for it back in the day. But it's a fascinating part of the story, and I'm glad they at least spent a little time on it. I think it's stupid. He cost himself two championships because he went to go play baseball. It is moronic. I would never, ever, if you're a successful whatever, let's say you're Phil from Modern Family, and you're a successful real estate agent or whatever, and then he just goes, yeah, I'm going to go be a plumber. And then he stinks as a plumber, and he cost himself those two years where he could have been a real estate agent. I think it's dumb. I don't applaud him for it at all. It's completely different context when you're uber rich and uber famous. How many other celebrities have done this, right? Everyone pivots at some point in their career when they feel like they've accomplished all they can accomplish. You guys know Garth Brooks, you big country fan, Zachariah? <laughs> yeah, man. I, I jam out on the regular in my, uh, in my in my pickup. You at least know who Garth Brooks is, right? Yes, I do know. That's probably the only country star that I can name. Multi-time platinum-selling artist, pinnacle of his career. Guess what that guy did? What, he tried to get into hip-hop? No, into rock. He released an album as an alternate identity called Chris Gaines. Go look it up. It's the corniest, stupidest thing in the world. He tried to pivot into rock music. And how did that go? And it went terribly. It went okay. much worse than Michael Jordan's experiment with the socks. You're but, making my point for me. Well, I'm not, because guess what? He did it because he was burnt out on trying to be everyone's favorite country guy. He wanted to try something else. And even if he had to do that and embarrass himself completely in order to gain the self-awareness to get his ass back on a country stage, it's exactly what happens when you feel like you've accomplished everything you can accomplish in your given profession. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm fine with him doing that as, like, for his own personal, like, mentally he was ready for a break and all that kind of stuff. I don't have any problem with that. But it did feel kind of farcical. It was a sideshow in the sense he wasn't qualified to be a double A player. It's not like they were taking him serious. I mean, 
some other guy, he was taking a spot on the double A squad from somebody else who was actually a more of a serious project. Well, Gabe, they said he hit 200. Well, he hit 200. First of all, 200 is not good. good. I mean, yeah, 200 is not good. Second of all, Gabe, they said in the documentary, they said that they had to because literally single A didn't have the room for the amount of people that were coming. So they had to put I'm him in saying, The fact that he was in the White Sox organization at all was obviously just a vanity play and a thing because it was the same owner and he was like, I'm just going to tell this owner, blah, blah, blah. It was a publicity stunt in, or a favor to him because he was Jordan or whatever. It wasn't like anybody thought he was an actual prospect. Okay. Again, Gabe continues to be the, the P in the Cheerios. I, he was, I mean, everyone knows he wasn't a real prospect, but for sure. He, this, this is the thing, man. Like, if you are, if you've got fu money and you can just say, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I don't care what anybody else has to say about it, and you actually go do that, that should be an admirable thing. So more to my notes, I thought it was funny that he was started his career off with a 13 game hitting streak, and then he couldn't hit the curveball. Because I know for me in my baseball career, I was always the all star. I was the best player. I batted third. I pitched. I started. I did all that. Career. Stop it. Don't talk about a, your baseball career. You played Little League Baseball. Don't talk about your baseball career. I, I played in high school, too. <laughs> Anyways, I it's, thought it was funny because... You at least finish high school playing the sport. Okay. Fair enough. Whatever. My time in baseball. Is that better? Semantics, OC. My point is that I went from all-star to the worst player on the team the second the curveball got introduced. Yeah. So I completely related with that. The cur- I mean, baseball is arguably the hardest sport in terms of just hitting. Like, think about Randy Johnson mowing you down with a 105-mile-per-hour fastball or hitting you with, a, like, a slider. That, and you have no idea what's coming. So I totally related to that. And then the Sports Illustrated thing where they said that he was embarrassing baseball, which is probably an article that Gabe wrote <laughs> back when he was 10 years old. The cover uh, headline was, Bag It, Michael. Yeah. And the fact that he refuses to sign Sports Illustrated covers to this day because he still holds the grudge. I love that. And this is what we all we knew that Michael Jordan was like this alpha, savage, crazy person. We've got a trillion anecdotal stories about that. I did not know that Michael Jordan from that day forward had never spoken to Sports Illustrated. (laughs) Neither did I. To acknowledge Sports <laughs> Illustrated. And the fact that he sat down in front of a camera in 2019 or 2020, whenever they actually filmed that segment with him, and said, yeah, yeah, I'm never going to talk to them again. And he just is unapologetically petty about like, like no one still works at Sports <laughs> Illustrated today that worked there back then. And he's like, I'm never talking to them again. That is, that is exactly what I'm talking about. That is why I want this series. And I want all these, even if it's one episode, I get one little anecdote, totally worth the hour. Because yeah. how strange is that? Where you're just like, I went to play baseball. I wasn't great at it. I was getting better. And I didn't like what they said about me. So I hate them forever. Totally, totally done with them. And to give them some credit, Gabe, hopefully even you will agree that we can give them some credit here. Tito said that he used to take so much BP that his hands would bleed. Like he had to stop taking BP because his hands were bleeding because he was doing it so much. He was doing it in the morning. He was doing it in the afternoon. He was doing it in the night. He was doing it after games. He was doing it before games. He was taking so much BP that his hands bled. That's one thing that I think is actually underrated about Michael, the work ethic. 
the guy was notorious for long weightlifting sessions before and after games, being tireless, just always being a guy who was on to the next, on to the next. A durable guy. He played every game, every season pretty much. Never took a night off. Was always saying, like, I can't rest because I ha- every day he had to kill whoever he was trying to face, and he put in the work to do it. And I think Jordan's interesting when you compare him to, like, people – because of, again, so much like social media and things like that, you have guys like taking pictures of themselves working out and wanting to tell you about how hard they're grinding. Jordan didn't talk about that. He talked about wanting to be the greatest and win, but he didn't talk about being the hardest worker. He just was. And they have, uh, who's it, Tim Grover, his little personal personal trainer guy who's made his entire living and career off being Michael's dude. <laughs> yep. He's, look, he's been on, he's been on a couple episodes of The Last Dance and, hearing him talk about how, like, Michael Jordan, recently retired from basketball, was like, oh, I have to completely change my physical makeup and body into a baseball body if I want to be good at this? All right, well, let's get to that. That's nuts. Yeah. When he came back after playing baseball and he lost to Shaq and Penny and the Magic or whatever, Grover talked to him, and he's like, it's literally the night that they lost, and he hey, like, are you want to take a couple weeks off and then we'll get back at it? And Jordan's like, nah, man, I'll see you tomorrow morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we were talking, OC, we were talking to Lorenzo Alexander, and you were talking about how crazy it was. And I didn't even really know. Like, I learned a lot from you two talking about it. I didn't realize how difficult it is to play different positions or whatever. But basically, he had to get his body into a totally different shape and then get it back into the shape that he had it before. That's the kind of thing that you don't think about when you're just a spectator. Yeah. That a guy – and look, the baseball thing, my last comment on the baseball thing is it'd be very easy if you're Michael Jordan to try doing that and be like, ah, you know what? I'm not that good at this. I'm not as good as I am accustomed to being at basketball, so I'm just going to, like, hang it up and I'll go film Space Jam 2 or I'll do whatever I want. But instead – I guess that would be Space Jam 1. That was before he did Space Jam, right? So, But instead, he's like, no, I'm going to work fanatically at this. And he was improving whether or not it would have taken him two more years or five more years or he never would have made it to the majors. This is a guy who would already achieved the pinnacle of one major American sport. He was the most famous athlete, maybe the most famous person on the planet at this point. And he's riding a bus and toiling with random dudes just because he wants to be good at something. And he's improving incrementally every day that's like you and i gabe zach everyone listening you and i are not wired like that we're just not we're not getting better every day at something we suck at just because you can salute that still stupid he could have won eight straight titles okay one of the other the stars of the show if you will or one of the ones that were featured was scott burrell and his constant berating of him and trying to get him better I just loved a few quotes. They were getting ready for practice, and they were, you know, I guess, you you know, you, you play five-on-fives, and Jordan was like, well, who are you going to guard? You better not guard me. He's like, well, i got to be honest, I am hurting because he was tired from games or whatever. And Burrell said, I'm going to lock you up. And he said, if a dog is wounded, you keep him down. And Jordan said, yeah, but you better watch out for the lead dog because he'll bite your ass. And I just loved all these quotes where they're just going back and forth. And for me, the whole thing, and we talked about this a little bit with with Zoe also, is just his passion for, like Gabe said, 
He didn't talk about working hard. He worked hard. He didn't like take, vi- well, I guess back then you wouldn't even be able to take videos, but he wasn't about promoting how hard he worked, but also his competitive nature. It's the fundamental thing that I always go back to, whether or not you hate to lose or love to win. And with Jordan, like some people say he's coming off as an asshole or whatever, but the bottom line was all he was trying to do was get everybody around him better. And he wanted to be better. He wanted them to be better and he just wanted to win. And to me, that's what makes him, you know, the greatest of all time because there was no other. It's almost a sickness in a way where it's like you don't even know if he's happy when he wins. He's relieved. But that was the way that he was wired. And that's the way that he got the people around him. And you see so many different people, Will Perdue, Wennington, like all these people talking about you feared not being your best because of him. Yeah. Like, and to me, that's how you get, that's how you get success. No, and, and look, it's a, I think it's a lonely way to go through life. And I, I have no sympathy for Michael Jordan. Of course uh, not. <laughs> Kobe Bryant talked about this uh, a lot after his career. I have no sympathy for Kobe Bryant either, because obviously he made the sacrifices. He made his bed. He, he and he, he slept in it and it's fine. But I played for a guy like this. I, I, I got to be coached by Urban Meyer for a year in college. Urban Meyer is the dude that, like, when you leave his program, you respect the man because he helped you win, but you probably hate that guy. <laughs> there, I'll say this. there's There were 105 people on our team in 2004, right? Uh-huh. Whenever Urban Meyer comes back to Salt Lake City, and he's been back probably a dozen times since he left here as the coach, it's like the same four people that actually try and catch up with him and go to lunch with him and things like that. Nobody else needs to. Nobody else wants to because he's an asshole. Just like (laughs) Jordan. But you won. But you won. So, like, I value that time. And you you saw it with all of Michael Jordan's teammates. There's a love-hate relationship because you hate that he was verbally abusive and that he made you work harder than you want to and that you had puked in practice because you ran so much or whatever. But you love that you got results. And you love that you unlock something within yourself that you didn't know was there. Yeah. So you don't have to like him as a person. You didn't have to like Michael Jordan as a person to be on his team. You didn't have to like Kobe Bryant as a person to be on his team. They didn't care about being liked and popular. And it might be a personality flaw, honestly, that you don't care if the people closest to you actually love you. He was just like, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to win. And again, it is not how most of us are wired. Most people want to be liked. As much as everyone gets on social media and tells everyone, it doesn't matter what people think about you, be yourself. That's all bullshit coming out of 99% of the human beings on earth. Everyone wants to be loved and accepted and liked and all that stuff, at least by the people closest to you. But Michael Jordan, with the guys he saw every damn day, was like, nope, don't care what you think. With his wife and his kids, I actually have to go to BP for six straight hours. Don't care if I miss your recital. It's probably a personality flaw, but again, it's something that's special about the true greats in whatever field. And something that I thought about while watching that is being a father. Now, I'm not a father. OC, you are. But just in my dealings with my father, he had the Michael Jordan attitude with me, but he also was warm and loving with me. So Jordan could have been just as hard as he was, but then also sprinkled in a little, because they were talking about when Scotty took over after Jordan went to baseball, how Scotty was more 
of the lover. He was the nice guy. He was the one that picked you up and stuff like that. And so he wasn't, he didn't have enough Jordan in him, but Jordan could have been a mixture of Jordan and Pippen. You can do both. You can be a hard ass dad and then also let your kids know that you love them. Yeah, you can. And, and look, maybe that is the problem. Maybe that's the, you know, aside from the gambling, maybe that's the chink in the Michael Jordan armor is he's not a multifaceted person. Yeah. He's not a well-rounded guy. I think Jordan's determination and his his insistence on winning at all costs is obviously something to be credited for a lot of success. But I think there's a little bit of a distinction between that as a driving force of him as a player and an athlete and his leadership qualities in terms of bringing up those around him. And I think Jordan's the kind of guy where, like, you know, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Like, he treated everybody like that. And I think... When you see guys who are uh, some of the best leaders in terms of bringing the best out of everybody, they don't treat everybody the same way. They everybody, you know, fairly, but in a way that fits that person's personality to bring the best out of them. And I think Jordan was just a hard ass with everybody, and sometimes it worked, but sometimes it didn't. And I think there was a lot of guys. There's not a lot of stories about guys who are the young players on those Bulls teams who really blossomed and became the best players they could be in their own right. And also we have evidence of things like the whole Kwame Brown situation in Washington where he was a bully daddy and stunted their development. So I think sometimes it worked for Jordan to demand everybody put in the same level of effort, but I don't think it was a silver bullet in that it was always the best leadership style. Okay, last thing here from my game notes, from my uh, last dance notes. Don't call them game notes. <laughs> before we get – hey, there was games played. Uh, before we get to viewing recommendations – I had no idea about this, and Gabe's going to pretend like he knew about this. You know what I think Gabe did, OC? I think Gabe watched it, and he's just pretending like he didn't so that he says that he knew everything that was in it already. But I had no clue about this, this LeBradford Smith thing, where LeBradford Smith was some rookie. He dropped 37 on Jordan. Jordan lied about him telling him nice game. After the game, he just made it up. He said that he said nice game to him, and then Jordan ends up admitting that he never said that to him. And then in the next game, because it was a home-and-home, home, he said that I'm going to score more points in the first half than he did in the entire game, and he was one point shy of that. He scored 36 in the first half. I have no memory of the LeBradford Smith game. Nobody does. <laughs> a necessary slander on me, Bill. I was telling you stuff that's not in the documentary about Jordan that you didn't know. Okay, so you knew of this story too. Yeah, I knew about LeBradford Smith. Ask right. OC if he knows why Jordan stuck his tongue out. I don't. It was a trait that he copied from his father. He used to stick his tongue out when he was doing construction around the house. You know what's funny? My dad actually does the same thing. There that's, you go. That's yeah. such a weird thing. Why would you stick your tongue out while you're doing construction? You know, it's people get these when they're concentrating on something else, they'll get like a little tick. Yeah. That's what it is. That's what that's what it is for my dad. I don't know what it was for for Michael. What's your? Do you have a tick? No, because I my brain operates at a higher level than the average person, and I don't. <laughs> oh, look at you! That is very Alex Trebekian of you. You know, it's funny is no one knows their own. Like it's it's something that obviously you don't notice. So. No one really knows what their own one is unless somebody points it out to them. So my dad's only tick was he did snot rockets. Instead of blowing his nose like a normal human, he would just shoot it out of his nose onto the ground, and he did it all the time. I guess that was his tick. But That's you don't do that tick, enough man. for that it's to not be a your tick. tick. Man, a tick is something you do yeah. involuntarily. You don't yeah. know you're doing. I'm sure well, he, he knew what he was doing. 
He didn't have a tick then. He didn't have a tick. Oh, speaking of fathers, it was amazing. Uh, last thing on the last dance. Uh, it was amazing that he won the finals on Father's Day. And just to see the emotion and just to imagine what he was going through, all the pressure that you're getting, all the scrutiny, your father gets murdered, and then you win the finals on Father's Day. I thought that was amazing. Yeah, that whole thing, I didn't even really know how to talk about or think about the fact that the most famous athlete on the planet, his dad was murdered, not just like my dad had a heart attack. Losing someone close to you in your life from a tragic circumstance like that, a deliberate act by other people, I, I I could not be calm and you know and ever at peace about it. I don't know if Michael Jordan is or if anyone else who's experienced that is. I don't think I could ever come to terms with the yeah. fact that somebody voluntarily took a loved one out of my life. That's yeah. it's yeah. bananas. My dad died tragically and mysteriously, but murder was you know ruled out. But yeah, I mean that's just putting ten on the two and just the fact that they talked about how how close they were. And they were saying he wasn't just his dad, he was his best friend. So, I mean, you know, yeah. Anyways, viewing recommendations. I've got a very simple one. Okay. I'm assuming that a lot of people have seen it, but if you haven't seen it or you haven't seen it in a long time, go and go ahead and revisit it. King of Queens. <laughs> King of Queens is essentially, it's basically, I dated a girl for about 10 years. She's basically... The wife, Carrie, and then my best friend, Art, we're going to try to effort to get on here. He's Big Doug, and it's basically like watching my best friend and my ex-girlfriend, and it's an amazing show, and rest in peace. I did this specifically for Mr. Stiller, who passed recently. He had a long life, though, 92 or something. Uh, Ben Stiller's dad. He's amazing in that show. Anyways, that's my recommendation. Go watch it again if you haven't seen it in a while, and definitely watch it if you haven't seen it at all. Amazing. <laughs> King of Queens. You don't like the recommendation? I mean, I don't like King of Queens, but I'm sure... What? Yeah, it's just... I don't know. Blasphemy! You actually don't like the show? I don't I, I don't think I ever watched it enough to really give it the kind of chance it needs. So now you're Gabe. You're not watching The Last Dance, and you're blasting it. I've seen dozens of partial episodes of King of Queens, and I don't. I, I saw enough of it to know that it's really not my bag. <laughs> Fair enough. What's yours? The Jack Ryan series on Amazon Prime. Tom Clancy. You guys know Tom Clancy, the author? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've like, heard of him. I don't think I've read any of his books. He writes spy thrillers and stuff like that. Jack Ryan is kind of one of his recurring main character guys. This, I think uh, Harrison Ford has played Jack Ryan in movies before. But anyway, this series is Jim Halpert. It's that John Krasinski guy. Oh, I remember seeing um, I remember seeing episodes from this, and I was like, oh, the office guy is now playing like a superhero? Is it good? He actually is, he actually is really good in those roles. He was in really? He was in, yeah, he was, in, he was in 13 Hours doing kind of the same thing, which is a movie. I liked him in A Quiet Place. I don't know if you ended up seeing that. He wrote and directed that movie, which was pretty creative and good. But, yeah, he plays, uh, you know, like a CIA operative, basically, in uh, in two seasons of this Jack Ryan on Amazon Prime. And I thought it was really good. It was quite enjoyable. But I'm, I'm a sucker for that, like, Jason Bourne BS. So that's oh, kind yeah. of Gabo, you got anything? Yeah, what do you got, Gabo? Uh, I haven't been huge in, 
in uh, TV lately, but I'll throw you a little bit of a curveball. Yeah, you know what? You know why, OC? He's reading articles on the Rona and how we should all stay home. That's much more relevant. I would say, here's my recommendation. Go ahead and uh, watch the Bon Appetit channel on YouTube to step your cooking game up. A lot of good information there about simple household recipes, even if you have limited skills, and it'll expand yourself as a well-rounded person and also prepare you for the future that's coming soon where our supply chains are interrupted and you'll have to do with the ingredients that you're able to get in your own domicile. Yeah, OC, just so you know, if, you know, this podcast smacks and we're millionaires or whatever, one of the things that I want to do if I ever get a ton of money is not going to happen, but keep going. Well, I mean, if it does, I'm just saying, or if I win the lottery or whatever, one of the things that I want to do if I ever get a ton of loot, I've told Gabo this before, I want to fund him to run a restaurant as like the head chef guy. This guy makes his own bread, OC. When this guy makes a meal, he's not just he's not spending like five, ten minutes just, you know, whipping something up. This guy will spend like three hours on his meal and he will make his own bread. He will make everything from scratch and it's incredible. I actually one of the many times that I came and crashed at your house in the bay, Gabo baked up some delightful cookies and I <laughs> I completely wore out my welcome and ate quite literally the entire batch. So. Yeah, that's a, that's an unknown thing about OC, Gab, is that he will literally, like, if he could, he would eat himself into being like the marshmallow, like Michelin Man. Like, he would, he's got an eating thing. So you guys have that in common. He likes to cook. You like to eat. I like to do neither. As long as we take taking liberties. I forgot. I, we didn't have time to work this in, so I got to go here in a second, but... It can be a viewing recommendation also. Live American sports are back. The UFC staged an event this past weekend. So four events in two weeks from the UFC trying to uh, grab some market share because there's nothing else on. How's your UFC affected by all this? PFL has canceled their 2020 season. So no matter what, like can't they, if UFC is doing it, why can't PFL do it? Uh, Because they just decided not to. I I think the powers that be in the PFL lean more in Gabo's direction where they're like, look, it's not a good idea, and we're not going to be part of the problem. We're going to be part of the solution. And yeah, Dana is such a savage for being the last one to shut down and then promising he would be the first one back. That guy is out there just breaking all the rules, and he doesn't give a bleep about it. You know why he doesn't give a bleep about it? Because you but, kind of have to be that way in order to drive a niche product like the UFC into the mainstream. He's unapologetic about everything in his personality, and I think – for a long time that worked really well for the UFC, whether it still does, we're going to find out. But also the guy's got, you know, three, $400 million. So if we all end up having to live inside of hermetically sealed chambers because, <laughs> because of this coronavirus outbreak, he is of the Uber rich that is not going to be affected by it. He'll get a private helicopter. He'll fly to his private Island and he'll have everything that he needs there. So he's just like, eh, I'll make these fighters come and take 50 grand to beat the hell out of each other. (laughs) Well, the best part was guys tested positive before the fight and they still (laughs) ran it. One fighter and his coach tested positive and they sent him home. Yeah, I mean, but still. Yeah, the NBA, they they had Rudy Gobert test positive and they shut the whole thing down. No, here's the thing. So these four events in two weeks, a two week potential incubation period for the coronavirus. It's by design, cramming as many events as you can in before there's a little mini outbreak. (laughs) 
right? It's so bad. I know what you're saying, but that's so bad. I mean, they're doing what they can. Yeah. I've been reading this carefully. They're, they've been doing what they can. They have these like carefully laid out policies. But of course, there's, you know, there's 50, 60 individuals involved in each show and you can't get everyone to follow every rule all the time. So there's going to be some transmission. There's going to be already some guy showed up from Brazil and his wife, by the way, had coronavirus. He still showed up to fight. <laughs> it was just like, they're like, do you know anyone who's been, uh, do you know anyone who's tested positive? He's like, yeah, my wife. And they're just like, you gotta go. You can't be here. It's so it's so ludicrous that it's funny. I mean, we're living in such crazy times. <laughs> I just want to say that I would think that something like golf or tennis would have came back before something like UFC. UFC, you're literally smacking your t- each other in the face. Golf, you can there could be nobody around you. Your caddy could be six feet away. Your opponent is hitting before you or whatever. I would have thought golf or tennis would have came back before UFC. Golf is back in June. Tennis, I think, is back uh, later this month. So it, those, those sports probably make more sense. But those sports already have established worldwide audiences, and the UFC is trying to grab market share as the yeah. only American sporting event that's on. It's a yeah. savage play that not everyone approves of, but business-wise, it's probably a smart thing. And I got to go, so last okay. thing. All good. My wife and I watched Contagion last night. Have you guys seen this movie? No. It's on HBO right now. So if you need an HBO Go password, holler at me. And it's made in 2011. It's about the outbreak of deadly virus that comes from bats in China, by the way. It's so eerie. Wait, they predicted this? The movie is it's wild. It's so eerie to see. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Was it common knowledge that if you ate a bat or whatever, that you get a virus? No, 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 no. Just watch the movie. It's not. The ma- Bill, the majority of devastating viruses pass from animals to human beings in one way or another. That's how they And they, they predicted the bat? Yes. They predicted yeah. wow. that a bat would get a pig sick, and then the pig would get a person sick. And then, yeah. It, it, but it's wild to see all of these. Like, in 2011, this movie's made, and everyone's walking around in masks. Oh my They're using God. terms like social distancing. Oh my and God. Talking about the timeline on a vaccine, how long it takes to develop. It's wild. Oh, that, yeah, that's terrifying. And I'm, I'm letting you know right now, the same reason why I wouldn't get punched in the face for 15 grand is the same reason why I'm not watching that. Good to talk to both of you, gentlemen. <laughs> OCNZ podcast featuring only one friend today, Mr. Gabo. We out. Holla.